have each one of you here. Uh, this is week number two in my series uh, that I've entitled The Incredibles. Uh, we're looking at God's superheroes from Hebrews chapter 11. Today we're going to look at verse 7 and talk about the type of person God uses. Now, this service was a little bit better than the first service last week. At least some of y'all had seen that animated movie, The Incredibles, all right? How many of y'all who had not seen it went out and watched it this week? You rented it and watched it. Okay, just like first service. Nobody did. It's a great animated movie, one of my family's favorite. Uh, it's The Incredibles. It's this family of superheroes that do what superheroes do, and that is to save the world. Uh, the, let me talk about one of the characters just uh, while I'm waiting for the rest of the band to get back in here. Her name is Helen Parr. She's the uh, the wife of Bob, a.k.a. Elastigirl. That's who she was as a superhero. Elastigirl. Say that with me. Elastigirl. She is amazing. Uh, I really liked uh, Helen in the movie. Uh, she could stretch any part of her body a hundred feet. Just stretch out. She could get as thin as one millimeter. She was, she was incredible because she wasn't incredible. And as I saw her for the first time years ago in that movie, I thought, you know what? Just like every mom I know, Elastigirl, you know? Her arms reach out and they can do a multitude of things. So anyway, that is uh, one of the characters in the great movie, The Incredibles. Today we're going to look at one of God's superheroes. His name is Noah. There's one verse recorded about him in Hebrews chapter 11. It's verse 7. Let me read it for you. By faith Noah, being divinely warned of the things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. One verse about an incredible story concerning one of God's superheroes. The question I have for you this morning is simply this. Why did God choose Noah? Well, think about that. When God destroyed the world with a flood, archaeologists tell us that there were approximately, at least, okay, minimum, one million people on the face of the earth. So literally, Noah was one in a million. Why did God choose Noah? Well, just imagine if you were God. What kind of person would you choose to start the human race all over again? Who would you choose if you were God? If God were to make the decision to destroy the world again and start over, would God choose you? That kind of made me shudder when I thought about that. Would I even make the top 100 list? Yeah, I don't know. Why did God choose Noah? Well, for the third week in a row, let me read to you 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth that He may make Himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to Him. So again, God is looking this morning. His eyes are searching the earth, and He's looking for someone He can count on. Somebody who has a heart that is loyal to Him. And God will not only bless that person, but He will also use that person. So, why did God choose Noah? Well, we're going to look at that this morning. The story of the life of Noah is actually found in Genesis chapter 6 through 9. And from it, we glean four characteristics of the kind of person that God uses. 
The first characteristic we find in Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 through 8. Let me read that passage to you. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Now guys, that's a sad commentary on planet earth, is it not? And the thing about it is, this just happened over a couple of chapters in the Bible. In Genesis 1 and 2, God made Adam and Eve. Genesis chapter 3, they fell from God's grace and were kicked out of the Garden of Eden because they sinned. And then from Genesis chapter 3 to Genesis chapter 6, with over a million people on planet earth, God's fed up with them. Because even the intent of their heart was always toward evil. Verse 6, And the Lord was sorry that He had made man on the earth, and He was grieved in His heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I am sorry that I have made them. And if we stopped right there, it would be the end of the human race. But, verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. <laughs> Thank God for Noah, amen? That he found grace in God's eyes. What type of person does God use? Number one, God uses people who are available. Now that's pretty obvious, but the bottom line was Noah was available to God. The fact is, here's the entire population but God can only find one person who is available to be used by Him. In God's eyes, availability is much more important than your ability. Or let me say it like this. Your attitude is more important than your aptitude. And you know what? Most of us use our aptitude as an excuse. Oh, I could never do that. Oh, God could never use me. I can't do anything. Well, you know where it starts? It simply starts with you being available and saying, God, you can use me. I heard a story, a credible story, about a Baptist preacher who was invited to a nearby town to come and preach. And so he showed up at the church, and before he preached, a group of men took him into one of the back rooms, and they started praying over him, asking that God would use him that evening as, as he stood and as he preached. And one of the men praying for him, just off the cuff, started praying this prayer. And Lord, about Bert Harris. Bert Harris needs you really bad. He lives in that trailer right down the street, and he's considering leaving his wife and his family. And Lord, if you could just get through to Bert Harris, that'd be great. And then he just continued on with his prayer and asked God to be with the preacher. preacher was listening to all this and thought, well, that, that's kind of a strange prayer to pray. and Didn't really think any more about it. Went out, preached his sermon after the service. He got in his car and he was headed home. On the way home, he saw a hitchhiker on the side of the road. And so he stopped and pitched, picked the hitchhiker up. And the Baptist preacher said this about that. He said, I know you're not supposed to pick up hitchhikers, but being a Baptist preacher, anytime I can get a captive audience, I'll take advantage of it. So this guy gets into the car, and they start talking and driving down the road, and the Baptist preacher said, by the way, what's your name? 
And the man looked over and said, well, my name is Bert Harris. Well, the preacher locked it up, turned the car around, and immediately headed in the opposite direction. Bert Harris said, what are you doing? Preacher said, I'm taking you back, to your, back home to your family and, and your wife whom you're trying to leave. Oh, Bert Harris got as white as a statue. Couldn't breathe, didn't say another word. They drove straight up to this guy's trailer house and he looked over and said, How did you know where I lived? The Baptist preacher said, Well, God told me. <laughs> and in a way, he really had. He took the man inside, the family was put back together, the marriage was restored, and God did an exciting thing. Isn't that incredible? True story. You say, well, how come God doesn't do that to me? How come I don't get in on any of those exciting experiences? Why doesn't God use me like that? Well, this Baptist preacher would tell you, if you would only make your life available, God would use you. And let me add to that, if you make your life available, God will wear you out using you. It's simply being available. You know, really, church, I think that when we get to heaven, we're going to be amazed at the kind of people that God really used. They're not superstars. They're not super gifted. They're not super talented people. They're just ordinary folks with faults and hang-ups and fears just like us. They're not necessarily brilliant. They're just of average intelligence. They're just simply available. That's what Noah was, available. Really, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize that God doesn't need superstars. In fact, He has a hard time using people who are full of themselves. He simply needs ordinary people who are available and will say, God, you can use me. What kind of person does God use? Number two, God uses people who dare to be different. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, it says that Noah was a righteous man or a just man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked with God. Really, morally, Noah was a man of deep conviction. In fact, he dared to be different. He was not afraid to stand out. In fact, he was not afraid to stand alone. He was, he was not afraid of what other people thought about him because he wasn't out to win any popularity contest. Really, at this point in the world's history, our society was morally bankrupt. In Genesis 6, verses 11 and 12, it says that there was corruption and violence and immorality all through the land. It was the pits, maybe worse then than it even is now. Yet Noah was not influenced by all of those bad things. In spite of the fact that he lived in a horrible society, it says that he was blameless among the people of his time. He was not afraid to stand up for what is right and to stand alone. You know, in America, we have a tendency to think that the majority is always right, don't we? I mean, the majority rules, so we think the majority is right. If everybody's doing it, then it must be okay. If it's popular, then it must be okay. But Noah refused to go with the majority. Because let me tell you, a lot of times the majority is wrong. 
And Noah figured out this equation. That one plus God equals a majority. <laughs> and that's the way he looked at life. You know, I, I don't know that this is true, but I, I just have a speculation about it, and I think I'm kind of right, that, that, that Noah had a whole lot of criticism throughout his life in ministry and doing what God told him to do. I, I don't think people understood him, and I really think people judged him wrongly, and they made fun of him. He, he received criticism from his neighbors and also from his family. I, I, I could just imagine the ridicule from his neighbors. That Noah is a crackpot. They would say, there's old man Noah out there building that boat. Maybe they'd see him at the grocery store buying supplies and, and they would whisper behind his back, well, he's a strange one, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. He thinks the world's going to end. And this didn't just happen over a week or a month or a year. It was year after year after year. And again, I don't know that I'm right, but... I think he got a little pressure from his family. I, I understand that his sons were older, but could you imagine this being in modern day times and, and, and you're Noah and you got a kid that goes to school and, and the teacher asks, well, what does your daddy do? Uh, he's an ark builder. Yeah, right. Can you imagine the in-laws? I mean, let's hear it about in-laws. Come on, you know. Noah, that boat in the front yard's a little embarrassing, isn't it? Why can't you get a normal job? Huh? And this doomsday talk is all over town. He got a lot of flack from his friends and his family. Could you, could you put up with being misunderstood and criticized day after day, year after year, simply because of your convictions? Because you were doing what was right? Really, church, conformity is often the enemy of Christianity. We see this in America. In America, we really don't have to worry about being persecuted. Nobody's going to come to your door, knock it down, and haul you off to jail. But we get worried just about being different. We don't want to be different. We want to blend in. We don't want to be different. We, we don't want to be unique as Christians. But you know what? That's what God has called us to be. The popular opinion, even amongst Christians, is just to blend in. Okay, if you're really following Jesus, you can't. Noah was not afraid to stand alone. While the world was literally going to hell, and people were going to the dogs, he said, I am not going to participate in those kinds of things. He was blameless among the people that he lived with. Noah was available. Noah was willing to be different because he had some convictions. It really, what gave him the confidence to be different for so many years? It tells us in verse 9, here is an, an amazing commentary on this guy's life. It says that he walked with God. Noah walked with God. He had a relationship with God that gave him the strength to say, I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to do what's right. And that's the kind of person God can use. Isn't it? The kind of person that's going to stand up and do the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. 
There's a third characteristic in Noah's life that applies to us today. God uses people who follow Him completely. Not on their timetable, or not when they want to, or in their own way, or when they feel like it, but completely and without question. Really, the people God uses are people who follow directions from God without excuses. In chapter 6, verse 22 of Genesis, it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded. I don't know about you, but I find that an incredible verse. Noah did everything just as God commanded. It doesn't say that he did some of the things that God said and then some of the things that he wanted to do. It says he did everything that God commanded. And then to elaborate on that, in chapter 7, verse 5, it says, And Noah did all, all that the Lord commanded him. Not some of it, not a partial list. He did everything. It was unconditional obedience that Noah had towards God. You know, really, obedience is just another word for faith. That's what it is. Faith is believing in God and doing what God asks you to do without question, obeying Him. You say, well, I've got a lot of faith, preacher. Really? Do you obey God without question? Because that's what it's about. That takes faith. Faith is following instructions even even when they don't make sense. This project that God gave Noah didn't make any sense. It made sense to the world, to the people around him. I don't even know if it made sense to Noah for a lot of reasons. Did you know that the Bible says that until the time of the flood, it had never rained on planet Earth? No one had ever seen rain. They had never seen a rainbow. They didn't know what rain was. In Genesis chapter 2, it says that the way the earth was watered was this mist came up from the ground, kind of like dew in the morning. The whole atmosphere was different because it had never rained. And now, here's Noah out in the middle of the desert building a boat, and they say, why are you doing that? He said, because it's going to rain. And they said, what's rain? <laughs> it didn't make sense. Not only had it never rained, but Noah was at least 500 miles from the largest body of water. Even if he was just building a fishing boat, you know, or a pleasure boat. How was he going to get that boat 500 miles across the desert to the sea? That, that didn't make any sense. And maybe the biggest thing to Noah himself that didn't make any sense had to do with rounding up all those animals. <laughs> That's absurd. Really, think about it. Only God could do something like that. How do you explain that? Well, I, I can't. But I guess if God created the world, He can round up animals. He can do whatever He wants to do. The point that I'm trying to make is this. The thing about Noah is, he didn't argue. He never argued with God over this plan, even though it didn't make sense. He never complained. He didn't try to explain it away. He just said, okay, Lord, you want an ark? I'm your man. Really, one of the real tests of faith in life is how do I follow God's will? Do I follow His instructions even when they don't make sense? Do I follow His instructions 
even when I don't understand it. Because there will be times. You see, Noah was available. Noah dared to be different. Noah followed God's plan completely. And then number four, God uses people who never give up. This is an incredible trait in Noah's life. We saw this last week when we looked at Moses. You know, Moses had to wait 80 years for the ultimate fulfillment of the plan that God put in his heart to see his people released from Egyptian captivity and make it to the promised land. 80 years. But Noah had to wait longer. Really, Noah is a key example in the Bible about patience and persistence and determination. If I know anything about Noah, it's this. He was a hard worker. A hard worker. The Bible says that it took Noah about 120 years to build the ark. The Bible says that God delayed the flood after a period of time. We start reading this in Genesis 6-3. Then God said, My spirit will not contend with man forever. What he is saying there is this. There is a limit to God's patience. There is a limit to what God will put up with from mankind. There is a time limit on what He will take from a disobedient human race. My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His day shall be 120 years. This is saying that after the decision was made to destroy the world by a flood, God waited another 120 years. There was a delay for 120 years. Why? Well, because he had to get Noah to build the ark. And apparently it took about 120 years. Now, I know some of you are going to go and Google that after church and find out if that is the executive. We really don't know how long it took him. Some theologians believe maybe 60 years. Uh, There's a big number of 98 years that people have calculated. I don't know. Here's what I know. That from the time God made the decision to destroy the world until He sent the flood was 120 years. And there was a lot of planning, a lot of building, a a lot of supply gathering, and then He had to herd all those animals in there. Maybe it did take Him 120 years. But here's the question. If you want to be used by God, and I'm hoping you do, that's disappointing. I'm hoping you want to be used by God. Could you maintain enthusiasm for a project that lasts you a whole lifetime? Do you think you would keep your motivation up? Do you think you would stay excited and keep on keeping on if this deal was going to take you an entire lifetime and you were going to get all the criticism that he got? I don't know. I, can, I, don't, I don't know if Noah got discouraged or not. I know I would. And I know you would all be griping about it, wouldn't we? You imagine dinner time after Noah had been building this thing for 60 years. He comes, he comes in from work one night, sits down to supper, and Miss Noah says, well, how was work today, honey? I mean, what's he going to say? Same-o, same-o. Same place, same thing. I don't know. I'm just speculating, and I hope I'm wrong about this. But you know what? I, I bet there were some days when Noah just hated to look at that old boat. I bet there were weeks when he wanted to say, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm tired of it. 
and sick of it. And I'm sick of being sick and tired. I've, I've done my duty. I don't, I don't feel like this anymore. But you know what? Even if Noah felt that way, he never acted that way. He is the example of persistence. Day in, day out, building, nailing, tar papering, whatever, for 120 years. And he never gave up. I think God used Noah because he was a man of commitment. He never, never, never gave up. Really, every day Noah was out there, he was preaching a sermon. Oh, he didn't stand in the church behind a pulpit and give a speech, but I'm here to tell you, he preached a sermon. Really, the most effective kind of sermon that can be preached, it was with his life. Every day as he nailed those nails and built those boards and bent everything into shape, he was saying to the world, I believe. I believe in God. And he stayed committed for 120 years. What an incredible story. What an incredible man. What, what a superhero. You know what? He was just an ordinary guy who said yes to God. I wonder, what, what's it going to take for me to get usable for the Lord? God is looking today. The Bible tells us that. He's searching to and fro with His eyes. He's looking for the kind of person He can use. How can I become usable? Well, these four things. First of all, you become available. You say, Lord, you know, I'll, I'm, I am willing to rearrange my schedule for you. You know what? Sometimes some of us just need to give some things up so we can be used by God. A person who tries to burn the candle at both ends isn't nearly as bright as he thinks he is. It means being available to God and saying yes to God. And that's where it starts for you today. Whether you're in your pew or whether you come to the altar and pray and say, Lord, I want to be used by you. I'm available. Use me. Number two, you dare to be different. You say, Lord, I'm willing to follow you no matter what. And you dare to be different. You dare to have convictions. You do the right thing the right way no matter what everybody else is doing. Then number three, you commit yourself to God's plan. You follow it even when you don't understand it. You say, Lord, I am willing to follow you completely. And then number four, you never give up. You stay committed. You make the commitment. You keep the commitment. Guys, I'm, I'm telling you, that's what God's looking for. And, and if you become the person who does these four things, God will use your life and God will bless you in an incredible way. You'll leave a legacy. Angie and I were talking the other day about uh, leaving those legacies. You know, it's just kind of sad. Uh, after a generation passes on, the next generation comes, and the, the third generation, we don't remember. That's pretty sad. A person lives their life, spends, what, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and does all these things, and then three generations away, they don't, they don't even know them. They don't remember them. That's sad. You know what? You need to live your life in such a way that a legacy is going to be passed down. And your kids' kids are still going to be talking about you. Why? Because you were God's superhero. You did these four things. One, one final note to this great story. That boat, that ark, really became an ark of safety. 
essentially it became an ark of salvation because God did destroy the world. All those humans died. All the animals perished. The only ones who made it through the flood were those inside the ark. Bottom line is this. I think God's getting pretty sick and tired of the wickedness in our world. And this world is coming to an end. There is an appointed day when this world will end. And this world is going to be judged. Every man, woman, boy, and girl will be judged by their life and by their deeds. You say, well, is there any hope? There is an ark of salvation. It's the one Jesus provides. Through His death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus provides you an ark of safety, an ark of salvation to make it to heaven. And all you have to do is believe. You know, I, I hate to take things for granted anymore. I told the first service, I, I've, I've uh, um, kind of come to the conclusion that, you know, sometimes sometimes Christian people, and I'm, I'm going to move over here when I say this, sometimes sometimes we who are Christians, you just don't, we don't act Christian. You know, that, and that's sad that, that even people who say they are believers don't always act like believers. We say things and we do things that, that aren't right. And, and, and to deal with that and to, to deal with people, you know, you, you've got you to understand what level they're on. And if a person, you know, says they're a Christian and then they're not living like a Christian, are they really a Christian? I don't know. I, I just, I'm getting old and cantankerous. That's what old people do. They become cantankerous, right? It's just a little comedy relief right here, right? I, I just don't want to take things for granted. So I've, I've got to stop right here and just ask you, like I'm, I'm just asking you individually. It's just me and you. Are you saved? And there's a huge difference between growing up in church or just believing that there is a God or just having some kind of superficial experience that's emotional. There's a huge difference in that and actually giving your heart to Jesus and being born again, having your name written in the Lamb's book of life, knowing for sure that when you die or when this world comes to an end, your heart is right and you're going to go to heaven. And guys, listen, that is the single most important issue that you have to deal with in your life. God has provided an ark of salvation. Are you in the ark? That's the most important thing today. Are you in the ark? If you've never been saved, you can be saved today. We can show you how at the altar. Just come and we'll explain it from God's Word. If you're here today and you're a Christian, boy, I'm, I'm telling you, God is looking for some good men, women, boys, and girls that He can use. If you'll be available, if you'll make that commitment, if you'll run the race, and if you'll stay committed. Heavenly Father, I pray that You'd be with my friends here today and help us to make wise decisions.